0: Hey, Joel here, founder and lead teacher of the Think Institute and host of this podcast. I wanted to let you know about something really exciting that's coming up soon. I've been hosting the ThinkPod for nearly two years, and I've loved speaking with some of the most fascinating minds out there. Well, one of my most fascinating guests and I have decided to partner up and take on a new project. I'm talking about the noted apologist, Sai Ten Bruggenkate. He and I will be launching our new limited run podcast called Answer Anyone, at the end of January. You'll be able to join us as we dig into the toughest objections to Christianity using the method that Psy is known for that I talk about on the ThinkPod, Presuppositional Apologetics. And we're going to reveal to you how you can biblically and effectively defend the truth of the Christian message. We will be rolling out new episodes of Answer Anyone with Psy 10 Bruggingate later this month right here on the new Institute Network. And there's a great way for you to support the show, even as we prepare to launch. You can partner with Sai and myself by going to patreon.com slash answer anyone. Why not go check it out right now? All right. So I've got this new podcast coming up with apologist Sai Tenbruggen Kate, and I am so excited for it that I thought I would go ahead and rebroadcast my previous episode with Cy that I did on the ThinkPod, where we talked about the argument that no atheist can refute. Psy's argument here is not going to be accepted by everyone. Obviously, Christian theism is not accepted by everyone, but it's really compelling and it's worth wrestling with. If you're looking for a new argument for your arsenal, or if you're looking to express your presuppositionalism or presuppositional argument in a different way. Today's episode, I think, is going to be really thought-provoking for you. I hope it's really helpful. If you haven't listened to it yet, this is one you're definitely not going to want to miss. And if you've already listened to it, if you, if you heard it the first time it came out, I'm hoping that it's going to be even more beneficial the second time around. And if nothing else, it will really get you primed for the upcoming podcast called "Answer Anyone" with Sai Tenbruggenkate. So now enjoy this encore presentation—that's corporate speak for rerun—of the argument no atheist can refute, featuring my guest Sai Tenbruggenkate. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedeckes, and now get ready to think. Now, when someone challenges your faith in God, how do you respond? Do you cite historical evidence or provide scientific knowledge? We love scientific knowledge here at the Think Institute. Or do you deliver philosophical arguments? What if there was an argument that no professing atheist could refute? Does that sound impossible? As it turns out, it is not impossible at all, and my guest is going to explain why. My guest today is Sai Ten Brugenkate. and let's welcome him now to the stream. Brother Sai, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine,
1: Joel. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Good, good. Um, well, uh, you know, Sai, I'm getting a little bit of an echo. Uh,
1: uh, let me put on my earbuds then, brother.
0: Okay. Thank you, sir. Well, Sai left his work as a stationary engineer in the automotive industry to pursue teaching apologetics full time. And while he has engaged and continues to engage professed unbelievers on the streets in formal debates, Sai now directs his efforts mainly to equipping Christians to defend their faith. In April 2013, Sai released the film *How to Answer the Fool*, which was uh, which had a huge impact on my own apologetic. And in February 2015, released the film *Debating Hunty He has taught the subject of apologetics throughout North America as well as in the UK. Sai is a member of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, and by God's grace alone, he is a Christian. All right, so brother, how? How on earth are you doing today? I'm doing um,
1: better than I deserve.
0: (laughs) Amen. Amen, man. Um, Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we just start off? First of all, thank you so much for, I I need to gush just a little bit because, (laughs) uh, you know, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but man, how to answer the fool had such a deep and profound impact on me when i first saw it i think i watched it in 2014. i was just getting in to pre-sop didn't know a whole lot about it but the way that you came out and right from the beginning in fact i think i saw some of your youtube trainings first but the way that the, the way that you came out and talked about this apologetic method that we're going to talk about today, and then put it into practice against people from so many different varieties of professed unbelief. It really uh, it inspired me, and actually, I um, I've been I've been really I've been using um, something similar to your apologetic ever since. So, what is your background? How did you get into apologetics?
1: Well, I appreciate the kind words, first of all, brother. And um, I want people to know that all glory goes to God. That uh, we're going to get into that as we talk a little bit more. But uh, we are just tools in this uh, apologetic enterprise. So, you know, when people compliment me, I want to direct all that glory to God because uh, he has commanded us to defend our faith. And um, you'll see uh, in the show that he's also equipped us. Now, my background, um, what I like to tell people uh, who are watching this podcast, too, is that I'm you. I'm a factory worker by trade. I'm a boiler operator. In Canada, they call them uh, stationary engineers. That's where I'm from. I was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I was a blue collar worker most of my life working in boiler rooms. And I would uh, share my faith with my colleagues and um, I loved doing it. Uh, I was born and raised in a, in a Christian household and um, I wanted people to become Christians. So, So I learned all of these arguments on how to defend my faith and I would use them at work with my unbelieving colleagues and what I found more often than not is, is that I, w- I would get them shoved down my throat and I didn't know why. And it really affected my desire to share my faith. It didn't affect my faith at all. It just affected my desire to share my faith because I thought that these were top-notch arguments. And one of the things I've been blessed with, I believe, is taking these difficult arguments and dumbing them down to my factory worker level. And I would use these arguments with my friends. And like I say, I would just get uh, pushed back, they'd, they'd shove them down my throat. I didn't know why. And what I came to realize later is that a lot of the arguments that Christian use not only are they not talking about the God that I believe in, they're terrible logically. And by the grace of God, after shelving the project for about two years, I um, ran into, or I was blessed by seeing, by listening to the Bontenstein and Stein debate: uh, Christian Greg Bonson and atheist Dr. Gordon Stein. For those people who have not heard it, I would encourage you to go on YouTube. It's an audio, and um, that basically changed um, my world. I'm just excited today um, about this apologetic as when I first heard it back in 2004. And um, I love sharing with people, and um, I guess we're gonna get into the uh, meat and bones of it uh, in this show.
0: Yes, sir. And you, a few years ago, several years now, you left your position as a boiler operator. You're now right. a full-time apologetics teacher. What do you love most about being a Christian apologist, and what's been the hardest part?
1: Um, What I love most about the apologetic is seeing lives changed. And um, I would uh, often get uh, emails from young Christian men, especially, who spend a lot of the time on YouTube, and um, they've said to me in the past that uh, they would go to atheist YouTube channels and they'd be afraid to watch their videos because they think it would shake their faith. And now they come to understand a biblical apologetic And they go to those same atheist YouTube channels and they laugh. They don't laugh at the plight of the unbeliever because except for the grace of God, that's us. But they laugh at the folly of unbelief, exactly what scripture tells us. So um, what I enjoy in this is that I get to spend most of my days uh, focusing on apologetics, the work of the Lord. And um, I do appreciate that. I guess the difficult thing is, you know, it's funny that a lot of people say that I quit my job and I started doing this full time um, for the money. It's funny that atheists will say that because my job as a boiler operator was actually for a, a um, the largest automotive manufacturing company currently, and I was making all kinds of money. So the difficult thing is that while people really do appreciate the apologetic approach and they'll watch my videos and they'll like them, they are very reluctant to support it. So um, that's I think that would be the most difficult thing is to be able to sustain um, a ministry doing this um, while people do appreciate it. Uh, they tend not to support it.
0: I, I hear that my wife and I are support raising missionaries ourselves, and you know that's
1: definitely one of the biggest challenges we face as well. What you know, oh, but, but before we move on, Patreon dot slash Ten B. Thank you, and I should have I should have asked you for that. So <laughs> no, no, that's fine. No, that's fine. I, I rarely share it, but if people want to support me, then they go to my Patreon. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What do you want Christians to
1: understand about apologetics?
0: Why? What are we missing? Why, why do this full-time?
1: Well, what I want them to understand first off is that we're all commanded to give a defense of our faith. Um, it happens often in conversation that I bring up the fact that I teach apologetics, and the person will you know kind of hum and hum. They say, well, I can't really do apologetics. I'm going to leave that for the university-educated person who does apologetics. And I usually respond with, well, you know, I can't really love people. I wish that I could love people, but there's people that are far better at loving people than I am, so I'm just going to leave it to them. And the look that they get on their face is um, its quite amusing, actually, because they're thinking, well, you're supposed to love people. And that's exactly my response to apologetics. We're supposed to give a reasoned defense of our faith. But the problem is that um, most Christians, Christians don't do it because they feel that they're um, ill-equipped to do it. And I think that because of the way that apologetics is taught, I would say in the high 90 percent of crisis, uh, cases, I understand why that's the case, because people are being taught to do apologetics wrong. And I would say, and I would argue they're taught to defend their faith in the God that, that they don't believe in, that I don't believe in for sure.
0: Um, and, you know, one of the things, and we're going to get into this, but one of the things that I've always appreciated is I listen to you talk about not only your belief in God, but your faith in Christ. Uh, you do it with a, with a level of certainty that I think throws a lot of people off and you uh, I, w- I want to talk about, you know, why that is. Um, why don't we go ahead and, and get into the main idea here? As you said, the meeting.
1: Well, I mean, we could get into the first of all, because people who haven't seen the film, I talk about it in the film. But in church, we worship a certainty. You know, we say nothing could separate me from the love of the Father. And as I say in the film, tear, tears streaming down our face. And the very next day we go into work and we say I could be wrong. The problem is if you say that you could be wrong, then you cannot say nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. We talk about a certainty in church, and then we go out the very next day and we talk about a probability, and you will see that the high percentile of Christian apologetics, arguments for the existence of God, talk about a probability. I wasn't saved by a probability. I do not worship a probability.
0: Right, right. Can you imagine at Easter singing, up from the grave, he arose, we suppose, or
1: <laughs> hey, Probably. that actually rhymes. <laughs> that actually rhymes. Have you ever heard the uh, Arminian grace instead of Amazing Grace? I'll have to, uh, I'll have to do the um, the uh, evidential version of that hymn. That yeah, be, yeah, well, yeah. Well, I say the heavens declare the glory of God if He exists. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't say that in church. We talk about a certainty in church. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, what is this argument? And we're going to
0: unpack it. But what is the argument? Now, I, I titled this episode very prov- provocatively. Um, hmm. The reason why I do that, I I, um, I sometimes take a page out of uh, the playbook of Jeff Durbin and Apologia. You know, if you ever look through their YouTube uh, channel, it's very, um, very clickable titles. But the fact of the matter is this is not clickbait because what we're yeah. about to talk about is truly an argument that no atheist can refute. And now, it, it can be delivered with Uh, greater or lesser acumen, but the, the fact of the matter is, this is an argument that I've yet to see, and I don't think it's possible to see, an actual refutation of. So what is the argument no atheist can refute? Can you just tell us what it is and then we'll unpack it?
1: Well, first of all, there are probably going to be atheists watching this, especially since the recent uh, engagement that I had with an atheist on uh, Marcus's channel. So um, I better put it into a syllogistic form so that people will say, well, si you were asked to come on here and you didn't present an argument. So I'll say premise one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Premise two, there is knowledge. Conclusion, therefore God exists. See, premise one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is basically saying God is necessary for knowledge. Premise two, there is knowledge, therefore God exists. And we can get into all the sorts of objections that you'll hear to that. But that is an argument that the unbeliever simply cannot refute. And Jesus said, I will give you words and wisdom that your adversary will not be able to resist or contradict. That's Luke 21, 15. Do I believe that it's the syllogistic form of this argument? No. But I believe it's the words of Jesus Christ that they simply cannot refute. And I think this is a good back pocket thing to demonstrate that fact. So
0: one, one um, small bit of pushback before we move on from that. You said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs Mm 1.7. And then you said that means
1: God is necessary for knowledge. Right. That's basically what what I would say. and That's what that verse basically says.
0: Yes. Okay. Um, Now, if someone does not have the fear of the Lord, can they have
1: knowledge? Well, I would say that according to 1 Timothy 6.20, what do they have? They have knowledge falsely so-called. So they do have a a form of knowledge. Like um, when I had my appendix removed, um, I don't know, 15 years ago or whatever, I did not stop them from wheeling me into the operating room saying, I have to know if this surgeon is a Christian so that he can know how to take up my appendix. Right. So the thing is, if the surgeon is not a Christian and he knows things, he doesn't know things because his worldview is true. He knows things because my worldview is true. And what you will see is that he would not be able to justify anything he knows about Operating about appendices or anything like that. And that's what you'll see. So they have a knowledge falsely so-called. They have a knowledge that they cannot justify it without appealing to God.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying that. Now, one of the things that I really uh, enjoy, I think it's in How to Answer the Fool, you play clips of different Christian apologists. And some mm-hmm. of these guys are very well-respected, guys that I've gleaned a lot from. And when I was watching, I couldn't believe it. Or, because I'm like, is I, is he throwing shade at John Lennox? Like John Lennox is a is a treasure. Why John Lennox? But the point, as I understand it, and feel free to to correct me on this the the point is to show the the um, antithesis or the the chasm between the certainty we have on Sunday morning and the the we might say feigned uncertainty we have when we or the feigned neutrality we have when we enter into conversations with unbelievers. How is this argument that you just put forward different from the typical stock and trade of Christian apologists?
1: Well, I would say, first of all, this argument is actually talking about the God that Christians believe in. As far as John Lennox goes, a friend of mine, uh, Eric Hovind, um, when I was first introducing him to the argument, he said, Cy, I want you to sit down with me and watch my favorite debate, John Lennox versus Richard Dawkins. I said, you don't want to watch it with me. He said, why not? I said, because it's not going to be your favorite debate anymore. <laughs> now, the thing is, John Lennox in that debate was presuppositional in some of his arguments. and uh, But the thing is, he's not consistent with it. Like, I would say he had his proverbial foot on uh, Richard Dawkins' neck, but he let it off. And you could hear the the crowd actually murmuring, you know, when he would get presupp- presuppositional in his argumentation. And then, you know, he would just uh, let him escape from that. So, now, you, you mentioned
0: presuppositional. I'm... Guessing 75% of my listeners and viewers know what that word means and why you just brought that up. But um, lest we get into uh, just speaking in, in jargon circles here, can you just define that? Why did you mention sure. suppositional?
1: Yeah, okay, that, that's fair because like I said, I'm a factory worker and what happens is sometimes you learn these terms and you throw them out expecting everybody out there to understand them. Right. And it's a shame that they use such large words because uh, people think that they don't have to know it or they don't have to do it because um, such large words are used. I'm glad that they didn't call them um, loving your neighbor phylogenics because then people say, well, I don't have to love my neighbor. Right. But um, as far as presuppositionalism goes, this is the way that I best explain it. Like I say, I like to dumb these things down to my level. I say, if you get a fossil and you put it between a believing Ph.D. and an unbelieving Ph.D. Now, the believing Ph.D. will look at that fossil and he'll say, um, Noah's flood, thousands of years. The unbelieving Ph.D. will look at that very same fossil and say millions or billions of years. Now, they look at the same evidence, but they have vastly different conclusions. Why do they have different conclusions? Not because of the evidence, but because of the beliefs they take to the evidence. We interpret everything according to our foundational beliefs that we take to evidence. So arguing over evidence makes no sense. Because if something contradicts our foundational beliefs, then we're going to trust our foundational beliefs. The atheist does that, the Christian does that as well. So rather than argue the evidences, I go to the foundational beliefs. What is a foundational belief to examine evidence? You want to know the truth of what this evidence is telling you. So that's one of your foundational beliefs. And I say, without God, you cannot get truth. According to atheism, we're evolved pond scum. And your brain is an evolved meat computer. And Doug Wilson uses the example of taking a bottle of Mountain Dew and a bottle of Dr. Pepper and shaking them and opening, opening them and watching them fizz. You say, which one of those fizzes is true? Neither. It's just fizz. Well, according to atheism, our brains are just fizzing. And you would say, which fizz is true? The atheistic fizz or the Christian fizz? It's just fizz. So when the unbeliever wants to say, well, I want to know the truth of this evidence, fine. Where do you get truth without God? And that's what you'll see is that they're borrowing All of their arguments from God, all all of their arguments against God, from God. Scripture says, from him and through him and to him are all things. And that's what you'll see, that God is necessary for all of these things. And they'll borrow these things. They'll steal these things from God. And the unbeliever will let them do it. And I think we as Christians need to stop doing that.
0: So what's the goal of this argument? Is it to strengthen believers? Is it to convince unbelievers or something else?
1: Well, I would say it's something else. Now, I know that um, a lot of the questions surround the presuppositional argument. And um, I had these two uh, young fellows come up to me once and um, they said, "Sai, we've been using this argument with this unbeliever and we just, you know, wiped the floor with him. And I said, never tell me that again. Don't tell me that you're using this argument. Tell me that you're honoring Jesus Christ as Lord. And that's what the goal of this argument is, to honor Jesus Christ as Lord. Because it's a reformed apologetic as well. Scripture talks about two types of people. It talks about sheep and it talks about goats. Nowhere in scripture does it say that goats become sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So what we have to do is be consistent with what the word of God says when we defend our faith in him and Jesus' sheep will hear his voice. The results are not up to us. We're commanded to be faithful and that's why anybody can do it. Because, I mean, if you know your Bible, you can defend your faith.
0: Okay. so. The goal is to glorify Christ. Amen. Christ is the good shepherd. His sheep will hear his voice. Why not just evangelize? Why um, why not give a reason for the hope that we have sort of in a subjective fashion and leave it at that and say, well, Lord, call your sheep and the gospel works. The gospel, are, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Why even get into an apologetic defense if our arguments in and of themselves are insufficient to, to convince anyone.
1: Actually, I'm not far from that, but when you said it in a subjective manner, I don't. I present the gospel in an objective manner. Okay. And um, I think that when people divide apologetics with evangelism, um, sometimes people say, "Sai, how do you get from your argument to the gospel? And when people ask me that question, I mourn because it means I'm doing it wrong. Because I would say a true biblical apologetic is evangelism. It is expressing the gospel. It's telling the people their need for Jesus Christ for their reasoning. People ask me, how many people have you brought to Jesus with this argument? I say, all of them. What they do with him when they get there is not up to me. Right. And that's what this apologetic should be. It's a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if there are objections, sure, deal with them. But the more that I do this, the less philosophical I get and the more biblical I get. I have the uh, pastors coming up to me say, Siah, here, you're a really good apologist. I want you to teach me. I say, I could teach you how to do this better than I do and in five minutes because you know your Bible better. You're biblically trained. You can do this better than I do. And that's what I encourage people with. Know your Bible and you can defend your faith. And you know, we'll get into more instances of that as we go on.
0: Yeah. What do you think about Vodi Bauckham's name for it? Expository apologetics.
1: Do you like that or no? Yeah, I talked to Vodhi about this actually because uh, in his book, he talks about the presuppositional method. And um, I was actually, when I first read that, I was, a fr- I was disappointed with how he kind of leaned away from uh, calling the apologetic what it was or what his favorite method was. But then uh, thankfully, um, after having done this for years, I got to see him a few years after and I said, I exactly know where you're going. Because it doesn't matter what people call the apologetic. Our goal is to glorify God, to exposit scripture to them. And if they reject it, you know, we should deal with it in a way that honors God. Now, people say that, um, you know, I'm dyed in the old presuppositionalist, I am. And they say I'm against evidentialism. Well, I'm not against evidences. And I say to people, look, if you can show me a way to present evidence in a way that glorifies God, that does not lie about what the Word of God says about the unbeliever, I say, go for it. Go nuts. Show me how to do that. Because my goal is to reach the lost for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you could show me how you're doing this without lying about God, I want to learn. And do you know how often they get back to me? They don't.
0: (laughs) Uh, There are some Christian apologists. Who are reformed? Who are presuppositional? Who do use evidences like Dr. James White? I mean, he—he'll get into textual criticism, and I think his his he's at least got a degree in like molecular biology or something along those lines. Uh, what do you what do you think of his approach? I, I I ask because I know you're not afraid to talk about other
1: apologists. What do you think about his approach? <laughs> I'm not I'm not afraid to talk about other apologists that aren't my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I love Dr. White. Um I would I would love to have the intellect that he has. Um but I don't. And I I talked to Dr. White once. I mean, he did a review of my debate with Matt De La And uh, he was saying that I should explain um, scripture more when they come up with these questions. Now, in that debate, it was filled with atheists because they were charging for the debate. And I didn't want Christians to be there. So um, he was saying that, you know, and he would probably get more into the uh, argument. But I think that it depends on the setting. And if I'm in a hostile uh, environment, what I say is I do not um, do Bible studies with unbelievers. So. Different methodology. I think, you know, there's a place for explaining evidences to people, but I find myself often in situations where I think that um, that I'd be being duped by them. And a lot of times in the situations that I'm in as well, um, these people don't want evidences. They want to try and trip you up. But one of the reasons that I avoid doing it like Dr. White does, first of all, is because a lot of times I don't even know the answer. But um, secondly, um, when I when I do a debate, And if there's somebody watching the debate, I think about the the factory worker who's watching this. Now, one of the questions that they asked me in my debate with Matt Delahunty was about the mustard seed. Now, would I refute that to a group of atheists? Maybe, you know, if I was able to, I would look it up. I might be able to respond to that. But then I'm thinking of the person who's watching from home and thinking, I didn't know that answer. I can't talk to unbelievers because they might ask me that question. I didn't know the answer. So I want to be able to answer for the average person who's out there, who's watching this, knowing that you don't have to know the minutiae because that's not their problem. Now, one uh, one of my friends, Corey McKenna from Canada, I think he's one of the best in using evidences when he defends his faith. Because what he'll do is he'll uh, listen to the question that they present. And he says, look, I'm going to give you an answer. I'm going to give you the answer the way that Christians reconcile this, but you're probably going to reject it out of hand because you love your sin. Um, because you have your own presuppositions. But look, this is how we answer this question, and he'll give an answer. And what happens? They reject it, or they go on to another one. And, and that's what I think it's a good time to point out. That's exactly what I said you're going to do. I said I was going to present this evidence, how Christians reconcile, it, and you didn't drop on your knees and become a believer, because that's not your problem. Your problem is that you hate God. And if you die tonight, you're going to stand before the God that you know exists, and you need to be reconciled with him.
0: Amen. So we mentioned Proverbs one seven. I know you you talk about uh, Proverbs twenty six four and five quite a lot. Um, which feel free to to hash that out. What is the biblical basis for this this line of argumentation for this
1: argument? Well, I would say that all of Scripture screams it. Um, Proverbs one seven, of course, Romans one that people are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. But um, what I uh, in my talks I talk about the FedEx symbol. And for those people who aren't familiar with the FedEx symbol, I encourage them to Google it and to look it up. And you'll notice that between the E and the X in the FedEx symbol, there's an arrow. I never saw that arrow before. Now I can't look at that stupid symbol without seeing that arrow. And that's the same in scripture that I never saw this apologetic before. Now scripture screams as apologetic. There are no arguments for the existence of God in scripture. And um, it's a reformed apologetic as well. And I think one of the most powerful verses also to support this argument is 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, that we answer the person um, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Now, that is the order of how people are saved, in the hope that God grants them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Now, what do most apologetic methodologies do? They try and convince the person of the truth so that they repent. They're trying to convince them that it was a man who was in a fish for three days or that a dead man came back to life with evidence so that they repent. Without God, that's folly. Without God, it's insane. So it makes no sense to try and convince them of that so that they repent. They need to repent of their sin against the God they know exists. Then you don't have to prove miracles to them. And that's what I say. Could the God of the Bible do this? Sure, if he exists. I say, so your problems are not with miracles. Your problems with the God of miracles. Yeah. And when you have a problem with him, you can't have a problem with miracles. Amen. Amen.
0: I I really like the approach of making this accessible for the average blue-collar person, or you might say, uh, homemaker, mom, or you know, high school student. And um, I I had a a friend from church tell me the other day. I was uh, I shared some some of my own material with her, and she said, you know, I always thought in my material I talk about the differences between classicalist and evidentialist and, and precept, and she said I always thought apologetics was classical and evidential apologetics and i always thought well i i can't do that because i've got to go look up all these different answers but what you're talking about i can do that i can actually do this amen and and
1: that's so encouraging well Um, i was uh, do you hear that yeah well i was doing this talk on presuppositional apologetics and i was talking about the preconditions of intelligibility and the men in the audience, I could see them taking down these notes and they were, I could see and I talked to them after. They couldn't wait to get to work the next day to use these arguments about the precondition of intelligibility with their colleagues so they could wipe the floor with them. And I looked at the women in the audience and they were And, I, and you know, I thought, what's going on? So I actually approached some of them after. I said, you know, what's going on? And they said, well, before I had to learn all these evidences, now I have to learn the precondition of intelligibility. Are you kidding me? And they're exactly right. So this is an analogy that I came up with. I say, if you're going to go and argue with a bunch of atheists or people of other worldviews, and you could have anybody in history standing beside you for that argument, get a time machine, anybody other than Jesus Christ, who would you want? Would you want me? Would you want an expert in, in Islam or in Mormonism? Or how about the Apostle Peter? Now, if you pick any of those people other than the Apostle Peter, I probably can't help you. So you'd probably say, yeah, I'd love to have the Apostle Peter with me. Now, this is what I want you to envision. I want you to envision what the Apostle Peter said to that group, what i said to that group what the expert in the other worldview said to that group and think to yourself which one of those arguments could i do it wouldn't be mine because i'd be talking about the precondition of intelligibility it wouldn't be the expert in uh, islam they're talking about the hadiths or, or the expert in mormonism talking about the king fallout discourse what would peter be saying you need to repent i walked with jesus do you want to know what it takes to be made right with him you know that's That's what apologetics is. It's a proclamation of the gospel. And if you would be doing it different than the apostles would, you're probably doing it wrong. Is there a place for these evidences? Yes, but I think they have to be used in a God-honoring way.
0: So how is the way that you do it? We mentioned Dr. White, but how is your methodology different from the way that Bonson or Van Til or or even Saiten Bruggenkate from six, seven years ago Hmm. does it?
1: Well, I think that the more I do this, the less philosophical I am, for sure. Um, I'll go out to the abortion clinics, I'll go out to the university campuses, and I'll just preach the gospel to people. And if there are objections, you'll see in my later videos as well, that I might deal with the objections very quickly, presuppositionally, and then I'll get back to an exposition of the gospel. And you'll see a lot of times that's when the crowds dwindle. Because, you know, there is no argument against this position, and they hear the good news, and I believe that they're convicted by it. And, um, you know, that that's why they leave. Now, these people are, you know, they're um, like Dr. Bonds, Dr. Van Til, they're experts in philosophy. And I have to learn from somebody. The problem is that uh, with them, I have not heard them engage the man on the street. I've heard them teach it in the university setting. And that's where I've learned a lot of it. The one of the, my favorite, I think, uh, audio of Dr. Bonson is when he uh, debated a fellow on the radio named uh, George Smith. And if you listen to the end of that call, it's an average guy like me called in. And that's the only time that I've heard Dr. Bonson engage an average person, they were just phenomenal. But um, so I think the way that I do it different from them is, is I'm not as smart as them. And that's one of the biggest compliments I get is that, you know, people watch a William Lane Craig debate and they say, I can never do that, that guy's brilliant. And they watch one of mine, and they say, I could do that, he's an idiot. I say, praise God. Yeah. I say, if you walk away from my encounter, from my debate saying, I can do that, then I've done my job. Because they're not gonna be remembering my arguments, they're gonna be hopefully going to the source. Like I say, one of the worst things that I hear on Facebook when, when somebody says, I was talking to my unbelieving sister-in-law yesterday. I really wish I si was there. And I'm thinking, yeah, I wish I was there so, you could, so I could listen to you talk about the God that saved you. Talk about your love of the Lord. That's, that's what I think people need to do when they defend their faith. But the world has duped us into saying that's not enough. You go to the apologetic section. It's not about the authority of Scripture. It's I have to learn all these arguments because the Bible's not enough. And guess what? The Bible is enough. Um, I have a uh, uh, there's a on Marcus's uh, channel on YouTube. It's a uh, a video people can Google it. It's called "Apologetics is Easy: Believe Your Bible," and that's what it comes right down. Scripture is sufficient for defending your faith, and Christians need to get back to that. The world is duping us into uh, talking about a God that we don't believe in. Uh, and Marcus's channel is I'm King Ginger, correct? Right, right. That's where also um I mean I uploaded it to my channel as well, but that's the latest. Uh, engagement that I had last week with a PhD in applied mathematics. And one of the things I said is that you do not have to fear debating anybody, a fact worker against a PhD, because all that the more intelligent person does is hide their folly with bigger words or attempt to do so. But I think it was pretty clear what happened in that exchange. I never claim victory. I encourage people to watch it for themselves and um, you know make their own evaluation. But I think that it's pretty clear um, the difference in our worldviews there.
0: You mentioned PhDs. This is something that I've wondered and I've put this view forward myself, but I want to know what you think. Do you think, you know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, such and such percentage of scientists are atheists. And it's sort of this appeal. I don't know if it's an appeal to authority or, or uh, appeal, you know, ad populum. But do you think for for someone who works in the natural sciences, they're exposed to so much more of the grandeur of God's creation, which is screaming Mm -hmm. that god created it that you know the heavens are declaring the glory of god and and therefore they can't just be like the average guy on the street and suppress the little revelation they have not even though that would be sufficient but if i'm studying astronomy astrophysics the glory of god is screaming through that and i have to suppress all the harder so that might take an average agnostic and, and push them over the edge to f- full-blown atheism what, what do you what do you think about that
1: well people say that university makes atheists but i i would argue that that's where atheists go um there's a actually a study out there that 75 percent of people profess faith be- when they go into a uh, university actually by the time they're out no longer profess to be christians and of course first john 2:19 says those who left us were never among us But I talk about in the film as well. We can uh, elaborate on that a little bit more. But let's say that you're a Christian and and you have questions and then you go to university and you see these things that seem to contradict scripture and you say, well, I, I guess I'm not a Christian anymore. They reason out of Christianity. Now, my question is, if God is the ultimate authority of your reasoning, how can you reason out of Christianity? Because if a Christian, if as a Christian, I find conclusive evidence that dead men don't come back to life. I don't say, well, I guess I'm not a Christian anymore. I Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I lean not on my own understanding and all my ways I acknowledge him and he will make my path straight. So if there's something that I don't understand in scripture and there's a lot of things I don't understand, I lean not on my own understanding, I trust in him. But if somebody comes out of that and says, well, I'm no longer a Christian anymore, it shows that God was never the foundation of the reasoning. And that's exactly what 1 John two nineteen says, because you cannot reason out of a position that God is the foundation of your reasoning. You just throw up your hands and you say, I don't know, but I trust God. Right. So somebody reasons out of that position, they didn't come out of university as an atheist and go in as a Christian. They went into university of non-Christians, that's why they came out as non-Christians.
0: Now we're, we're talking a lot about atheism, but is this an argument that can be used with, you mentioned Muslims and Mormons, and uh, is this an argument you can use with anybody or is this specially tailored toward atheists?
1: Well again, I do not like the term of an argument you can use. Because what the argument actually is, is honoring Jesus Christ as Lord. Can you honor Jesus Christ as Lord within atheists as well as all the other worldviews? Of course. I would say there's only actually two worldviews. There's the theist worldview, which is the Christian worldview, because there's only one God. And there's the non-theist worldview, which are all the other ones. So I have actually a section on my website where I talk about other worldviews. But uh, I was really encouraged by a missionary in Ghana. He's from Brazil. We've become friends since then, Cristiano. And he was defending his faith in Ghana. And uh, he talks about this incident where he was walking down the street and there was a a man sacrificing a a bird. They were handing out mosquito nets. They weren't supposed to be preaching that day. And um, he said, what's going on? And they said, well, there's a, a girl in our community was bitten by a snake and she's dying. So we're sacrificing this bird to our God. So she'll be healed. And he said, can I go in and see your gods? And they said, no, no one's no one's allowed in there. But he saw an old man by the doorway. And uh, he figured this was the guy's father. And in Africa, the, uh, this was in Ghana, he said in Africa, um, people have the uh, authority. So the older people have the authority. So he asked this man, can I go in and see your gods? And the guy said, sure, go ahead. So he went in with three Americans and an interpreter. And the first thing he said to them is, your gods are not God and you know it. This sacrifice will not help this girl. You need the true sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the young man who was sacrificing the bird looked at him like he wanted to kill him. And the Americans were trying to get his attention say, well, what are you doing? You can't say that their gods are not God. And then he prayed for them. He said, you must repent and you know you must repent. And then he was leaving the house and the young man came running after him. He says, my father wants you to pray for the girl. So uh, the Americans said, are you going to pray for her? And he, and he said, why not? She said, they said, what if she dies? He said, that's not up to me. So he went back and he prayed for the girl. Two days later, he was in the same small town. And this young man who looked like he wanted to kill him was now approaching him with three of his friends. And my friend, Cristiano, was a little bit nervous because he didn't know what this guy wanted to do. And he said, can you tell me more about Jesus? And Cristiano uh, laid out the gospel to him. And he said, you know, I heard about your Jesus years before, but I didn't come to him because I do the sacrifices in my community. And when my father dies, I must become the priest. If I become a Christian, this will be very difficult for my family. And Cristiano said to him, that's why he wants you first. And the guy repent and put his trust in Jesus Christ. And Cristiano said, if this man didn't, it wouldn't have made a difference because now he knew that he was honoring Jesus Christ as Lord. He said, if he was there six months before, he would have gone there and refuted them as to why all of their gods could not be God. But now he went and did exactly what the Bible says. These people know the God and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because if those people died without Cristiano going to them, where would they go? All Christians believe that they would go to hell for their sin against the God they know exists. Yeah. So to try and refute the gods that they profess, I think, is really pointless. And that's why with all other worldviews, I think people need to be called to repentance. Say, you are sinning against the God you know exists. One thing that I do with people of other worldviews is, you know, when they come to my door, when I see them on the street, I say, look, you have taken on this time you know, to be on the street or, or to do this mission, so you really care for my soul. Can you do me a favor and share the gospel with me? tell me what I need to do to be saved and of course they never share the biblical gospel with you and then you share the biblical gospel with them and you take them over to Galatians 1 verse 8 you say if, if even an angel of the Lord came down and shared something other than the gospel they'd be anathema and you came to my door and shared something that's not the gospel you're on the street preaching this and it's not the gospel and you know you need to repent and that's sufficient that's all you need to know to deal with the other worldviews. and you can do this with any world view. Call them to repentance for the sin against the God they know exists. And Jesus' sheep will hear his voice. Maybe not right in front of you. Maybe not the next day. Maybe not even 20 years from now. But Jesus' sheep will hear his voice.
0: Um, you know, I, I missed
1: it. Uh, um, did, did the little girl live? Yeah. Um, see, in, in, I, I rarely tell that part of the story. And um, I asked my friend whether she lived. And she did live. And the reason that he does not explain that. Is because people say, Well, that's why this guy became a Christian, because right. this girl ended up living. But the the thing is, people sacrifice animals mm-hmm. to these gods all the time. And guess what? Sometimes the girl lives. Right. Sometimes the person lives. He says it doesn't affect her faith. Right. So he does it's not germane to the story, but praise God. And I do believe that God uses stuff like that to, sure. to save people, but I don't think that was instrumental in this man's salvation.
0: Well, it, either way it's the lesser of the two miracles. Regenerating a heart is 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 a greater miracle. Mm-hmm. Um Now, what are some of the pitfalls to watch out for when you are seeking to glorify Christ in this way?
1: You know, I think the way that you put it, I think, is profound because I think unknowingly people seek to glorify themselves. Hmm. And this is a story and it's a a hazard in this apologetic. Because one thing I say about this apologetic is the beauty of this apologetic is you're going to win arguments. But the, uh, the, the, the fear or the difficulty of this, uh, this apologetic is you're going to win arguments. Right. So um, I was at this conference and um, I was doing it for the first time on the street. You know, I'd never really done it before, years before, years ago. And um, when I would be done doing this argumentation, going back to the hotel, people slapped me on the back, saw you crushed that guy, saw you cream that guy. And I'm thinking, no, I didn't. God did through me. And at the end of the conference, they set up two microphones. And uh, you could go up front and give your testimony about, about what you learned that week. Now, I was not one of the speakers, but there was this sickening buzz going on about this guy from Canada who had this new apologetic. It's not new, by the way. And so there are a lot of people talking about me, talking about the discussion that I had with other people. And I'm in the back, you know, just before they open up the mic for people to give their testimony, and I'm praying, Lord, please don't let anybody mention my name. Lord, please don't let anybody mention my name. Lord, please don't let anybody mention my name. And I finished praying and you know, the first thought in my head was, I hope somebody mentions my name. See, that's what this argument does is that it's so powerful. You win arguments and you want to take the glory upon yourself. So I ran to the front and I read about the unworthy servant. See, we are just servants of God that if you win an argument, it's not you. It's the glory of God through you. And I encourage people, whenever people compliment you, when you use a biblical apology to give all glory to God, and I do it to a fault. Because I think of in, in Acts where Herod, you know, received the praise of the people, he didn't rebuke them and the worms ate his body and he, and he died. And um, I don't want that to happen to me. So all glory to God with this, the apologetic. And I would say that is a danger to, to, to be too philosophical, to get away from preaching the gospel and to take the credit yourself.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a sobering reminder and um, something we all have to watch out for, you know, there are probably countless objections to this approach some of the ones that i get so uh, a couple months ago i did a, a debate and it wasn't the one you watched with uh, ethan michael but it was with one of his
1: friends and, i'm talking uh, to him on the 23rd by the way
0: oh you are yeah oh that'll be good i'll have to i'll have to tune in i'm, I'm glad that's working out that'll be fun <laughs> oh no
1: man that's you you are very nice to him by the way and by the way by the way and that's the beauty of this apologetic too i learned a lot from you in that exchange if nothing else your demeanor i mean of course i I learned you know from the arguments you use and the way you presented it but you have such a wonderful kind demeanor and that's why he made the mistake of reaching out to me i think
0: you know that's 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 just hilarious because uh you know i get in trouble for going too hard i think oftentimes and i don't i all, like well like you said all glory goes to Christ if I did anything right in that encounter amen. a hundred percent but that's going to be a lot of fun because um, y- you know I think it's I get this impression as I interact with atheists that like they see you as this boogeyman that's out there like like oh I'm going to be the one to finally you know take down Psy and it's uh, but there's this animosity towards presuppositionalism in general and so i did this debate a couple of months ago and my debate partner every now and then i'll i'll comment something like say on on ethan michael's our uh, friendly neighborhood atheist uh, page and the guy that i debated will chime in to anyone who thinks that he needs to respond to Joel. You should know he is trying to set you up to use his apologetic playbook, and he's—he knows very well that um, that what he's doing is disingenuous and not in good faith and dishonest, and all this stuff. And and uh, you know, I, I laugh, but it, sometimes I will engage because it's like, well, you know, I don't want my name to get dragged through the, <laughs> the here, but um, but are you? Cy, does this all just amount to some sort of? Presuppositionalist bag of tricks Are you just playing word games here? You know, ultimately Is this just some sort of circular argument And you can't refute it ultimately Because it's non-falsifiable And therefore it's not much of an
1: argument at all What I find with people like that That, you know, after you engage them And if you look at my Twitter feed The fellow that I engaged last week He's all over the place They're doing damage control Because there's an argument that cannot be defeated And, you know, they, they don't want to admit to that So is it a trick? No but the, the thing is, if we're evolved pond which, you know, I deny, but if that's their worldview, what be wrong with tricks? What be wrong with dishonesty? And, you know, the charge of circularity is people clearly do not understand argumentation. And, I, you know, I would explain, as Van Til says, it's more of a spiral argument, but all ultimate authorities must prove themselves. And so um, there is circularity involved in the argument, but they don't recognize their own circularity. But I might not even get that, I might not even get that far. It depends on, you know, how uh, much animosity my interlocutor is showing. But I would say, well, what's wrong with circularity? You know, if they say you're being circular. And so, um, it's it's not a trick. It's it's a profound argument that exposes that you need God to reason at all. And they don't want to go, they want you to grant them that. And that's what you'll see that most Christians are doing. Say, well, look, I'm going to grant you all of these tools of Jesus Christ. So you can insult my Lord. I'm not doing that.
0: Well. When it comes to evangelism, so I I do evangelism training as well as apologetics training and uh, Christian worldview training. And one of the things we'll talk about in, in terms of evangelism is to ask questions. So evangelism, meaning, you know, you want to share the gospel with somebody in a compelling way. And we'll talk about asking questions to search for windows to their soul, but also common ground. I want to know what I have in common with you so that I can, hey, you know, hey, we're both Cubs fans, something like that. But You talk a lot about, and and I would agree with this, that there is no neutrality between worldviews. So where's that line between wanting to establish common ground with somebody so that you can build rapport with them, friendship, show them that you care about them? And where do we cross that line over into this sort of purported neutrality where we're going to meet on this neutral territory where Jesus isn't Lord, and we're just going to weigh the evidence for themselves?
1: I I would uh, caution that there is not a lot in common with us and the unbeliever. Our reasoning has has been redeemed. But the commonality that we have is that we're both created in the image of God. And one thing that I like to encourage presuppositionalists or anybody when they talk to the unbeliever is recognize that except for the grace of God, that's you. Yes. And one thing I was very convicted, uh, I heard in a sermon, I believe it was by Doug Wilson, and he said, if you're engaged with an unbeliever at any point in the conversation and somebody watches your interaction, and it does not look like you want them to be saved, you're probably doing it wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, these people are hounding me on Twitter, and you want to have the smart retort. And I think I fail very often because I grew up in a large family, and you know, we exchange these smart retorts for fun You know, because at the time, we knew that we loved each other. Right. And um, so when I do that with an atheist, they don't know that I love them, that I want them to be saved, and I have to be very careful with stuff like that. But... Um, yeah, I think that when we engage the unbeliever, we have to do it in, in, a, in a loving fashion. So,
0: what are some next steps for Christians who want to get better with this? And actually, if you could recommend, I mean, I, I would recommend to anybody, go and watch How to Answer the Fool. You can get it for, S I I says, the Dutch price. Um, hopefully, that's not uh, some sort of protected uh, class that we can't, we can't <laughs> say that now. But Oh, no. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, go watch that on YouTube. But but, Sai, how can Christians take the next step in improving in this apologetic? And who would be one or two other apologists than yourself who you think do a great job at this, where people could could get another, um, a, a, you know, another example of someone who does this well?
1: Uh, there's this fellow. He's a friend of mine on Facebook. Joel. Uh, he's got a he's got a long last name. Um, case or something like that. I believe that he wields in it.
0: He sounds silly. <laughs> He sounds.
1: <laughs> he wielded it in a, in a very loving fashion. Sorry, what was the beginning of the question again? Uh, can, you're,
0: uh, you're too kind, number one. Number two, <laughs> how can Christians take the next step to improve in their apologetic?
1: You know, I'm very reluctant to uh, guide people to, um, uh, to lectures and things on presuppositionalism because what I find very often is they go out and they start arguing philosophy with people. And I will tell you to this day, Every time that I engage an unbeliever, on the street, on the internet, in debate, my thought is not, I, I should have watched that video another time. I should have picked up that book on presuppositionalism. It's, I should have read, read my Bible more. I need to know my Bible more. And it's my goal to have this apologetic in such a way that no matter what objection they bring up, you answer it with scripture. And, you know, I had a, I had a friend come up to me at one of the conferences. I didn't know him at the time, uh, Nate Stoyer. But he said to me, "Sai, I want you to teach me. I hear you're a really good apologist. All I do is answer with scripture. I said, don't listen to a word I say. You know, so that's what I encourage people to do. Read your Bible and you can defend your faith. Now, you can watch some of the interactions I've had and, you know, uh, eat the meat, spit out the bones. And, I, you know, I love to be corrected. I love to be encouraged. But if people want to know how to do this apologetic, read your Bible. I was talking to you about my friend, Cristiano. He went to school for four years for biology to become a better apologist. And at the time, he saw his grandfather who learned to read reading the Bible. And he was defending his faith with people. Never spent a day in school in his life, and people would say to him, "Yeah, you're crazy to believe the Bible," and uh, I don't believe your Bible. And this, this, uh, his grandfather would say, "You must believe the Bible. It's foolish not to believe the Bible." And he was in school thinking of how foolish his grandfather was, um, you know, for just answering this fashion. And now, four years later, or however long later, he's saying his grandfather was doing exactly right. You know, he's speaking from the authority of God's word, not apologizing for it. So. Um, what, what I find is when solid Christians, when they hear this apologetic, say, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. That's how I've been doing it my whole life. This is not new. People think it's a new way to, to defend the faith. No, it's not. It's a biblical way to defend the faith, of talking about the truth of scripture. So if you wanna know how to do this better, sure, you might wanna learn what presuppositional me- presuppositionalism means, but the way to defend your faith well is to do it biblically. And I encourage people to go to scripture.
0: Amen. Now on your website, and this is um, right before we take some audience questions and objections. But on your website, proofthatgodexists.org, which I've referred to many, many times over the years, you do have a section, Other Worldviews. And right. uh, you mentioned this to me earlier. I don't remember if it was before we started talking or during this conversation. But in that section, you've got tabs on atheism, agnosticism, cultural Christianity. Eastern philosophies, Jehovah's Witnesses, all the way down the line. And one of the reasons I've referenced that section so many times is you point out the inconsistencies internally within these different worldviews. Now, what y- what you just advised was we need to get to know Scripture better. And every right. believer needs to be a student of the word, no question. It was it Spurgeon who said, visit many books, but live in one? Um, Spurgeon's a good Baptist, by the way. But uh, the... Th- that section of your website there, uh, you have that. It's, you haven't taken it down. Would you still recommend Christians to study other worldviews and look for inconsistencies and have those ready in our back pocket? Or or do you sort of downplay that now?
1: Um, I would say more often than not, I downplay it. I'm not I'm never saying that people should not um, study other worldviews. But, um, you know, I think I've heard the advice as well that you have to know what these people believe before you engage them. If that's the case, there's over 4,000 worldviews out there. You couldn't talk to anybody if you'd have to know them all that well. Is there a place to know this? Sure, and I've seen wonderful arguments, but I think it has to be uh, coupled with a biblical apologetic. If if these people go to these people, look, the Bible says you know this God, you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. But I want you to show you what your book says here and show you how it contradicts Scripture, which you say you also believe. Sure, I believe you could do that, but I think you need to preface it with that, you know, they're in sin. And one thing I like to say, too, as well, when I engage people, I say, look, people are sent to hell. There are degrees of hell. People are sent to hell to the degree, according to the amount of truth they get and reject. And I say, I'm going to give you a lot of truth today. This could be the worst day of your life if you die in your sin. So I'll have this conversation with you, but I want you to know that the Bible says you know this, God. You're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Now let's have a look at this point. And what you'll find often is it turns into a slugfest about these specific points and you never get to the gospel and you never get to their call for repentance. You know, I think um, we need to be careful that should people study worldviews, you know, I'm not against people doing because I want to learn about these and I put these things on my website. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I would I've used them very rarely in evangelism myself. For me, it's just uh, nice to be able to read it, to see the contradictions of the worldview, And there might come a time when you could use it. But um, like I say, if you have to learn all of those things, even if you know people want to memorize those cards, I think that's a problem. Because then I think that will uh, more often than not deter you from sharing your faith.
0: Yeah. You know, where those... Sections like that, and information like that have really come in handy for me, have been in strengthening my own faith and then in bolstering the the strength of other believers. You know, ultimately, our strength is built, it's proverbs one seven It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs nine ten, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it is nice to know that Mormonism is internally inconsistent. And I think God right. used use that as a means. You know as guardrails for christians if we start veering off hey you know this jehovah's witness is actually making a lot of sense oh nope i remember i i don't know of a scripture passage right now to refute that but i do know that if i go down that road i'm going to have to start believing some inconsistencies and then i'm going to go back and study scripture more to yeah learn how to refute that
1: i would and i would answer like that more i believe in the past but then i got to thinking about what is a weak faith what is a, a faith that can be shattered by these different, or even tested by these different worldviews? And I think that's that's problematic. And, you know, I understand what people are saying, and I understand that, you know, people want to see these things. But what I say is that these evidences, even these arguments against these worldviews, what they do is they glorify God. Amen. You know, they show the folly of, of these other worldviews. And, you know, in a way to bolster their faith, I would just like somebody to explain to me what a weak faith is. Hmm. And sure, if there's a, a time of depression or whatever, and you you, you want to be encouraged, But what is a weak faith? I mean, because my faith cannot be shaken, no matter what anybody says. And um, so if they want to talk about the peripherals, fine. But um, um, I just have a problem with the term weak faith. I don't really, I don't really know what it means. Uh, What about the father who told Jesus, I believe, help me with my unbelief? Yeah, well, I don't know. I would like his weak faith to be, to be defined. I don't know, because he believes, help me with his unbelief. I think that's actually a good way to put it because he believed. Yep. It's not like, um, I believe, I might not believe, if you don't give me more evidence. I believe, help me with the things I don't believe, or that I'm having trouble believing. Okay. And sure, is there a case for that? But I don't think, you know, somebody, a Christian, first of all, you know, because we're reformed, they cannot lose their salvation. So it's impossible for them to go off the rails. So um, for there to be a weak faith in that regard, I just don't believe that that exists.
0: Yeah, and um, I have to give a quick disclaimer, because technically, uh, while I am Calvinist, I'm New Covenant theology i adhere to that so okay this is over (laughs) i know i know i know i waited till the end to tell you um but in case i've got any of my nct friends watching uh and if i didn't if i didn't uh uh, push back against that word reformed i'm but i I, by most people's standards i am reformed because i'm calvinist and yeah you cannot lose your salvation uh, any more than you could beat jesus christ in a in a boxing match or something there's no no one can snatch you out of his hand um brother can we take a few comments from the audience so i could take all the comments you want questions too <laughs> there's well a lot of these a lot there was a, a pretty robust dialogue going on here in the youtube comments but
1: um let me guess one of my friends
0: <laughs> we you know what here's one that's actually uh th- this hey this there you to. there respond you go to. So um, our mutual friend, Ethan, your friendly neighborhood atheist, is asking, hi, Sai, what is something that atheists do
1: that upsets you most? You know, um, I guess blaspheme. One of the things that I I don't like in engaging unbelievers, and the only thing that gives me pause to engage them is when they blaspheme. Because um, I give them the opportunity, the, um, the voice to blaspheme even on, you know, that's one of the uh, deciding things on Twitter, which I will block somebody, is they, they blaspheme. But the most upsetting thing, and, and you know, if I don't, I, you know, Ethan calls himself friendly, but if he were to blaspheme in that podcast, um, then I would end it. And, you know, that might be a key for him if things aren't going well, to blaspheme, and I'll end it. But um, I do not appreciate when people insult the Lord that I adore.
0: Yeah, amen. Any more than you tolerate someone or that you know, any husband would tolerate someone slandering his wife and multiply that. You know. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I use that example quite often. You know, somebody calls your wife a bad name and you'd freak out. But then somebody says, that, well, your God is a liar. I don't know that he exists. They just called the Lord that you adore a liar. And people don't have the same reaction that they would if somebody slandered their wife.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very. Uh, well, OK, here's another comment. You might not like this one because um, it's it's border, it's almost along those lines. Uh, this is from So You Say and she says, thousands of years of this stuff, countless gods, and they all leave it up to human beings to do the talking. They all share that peculiar trait in common, mighty suspicious. More of a comment than a question but wh- wh- how would you respond to that? Okay, so every god needs people to, to speak for him, every purported god including the idols, uh, and therefore, our God is
1: purported to you be... You know, that's a, that's a comoral, common liberal bent among professing Christians, too. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need me. doesn't need you. He doesn't need anything. God chose it to do this way. And uh, to do it this way. And the, the interesting thing is that a lot of the objections that they level against us, they're doing the same thing. I mean, their worldview, they're using her as a mouthpiece to profess it or to, criti- to criticize us. You know, God has chosen to do it this way. Why? Well, that's a perfect up to him, but he doesn't need me to do it. Where'd you go?
0: <laughs> All right, I'm having a little technical difficulties. <laughs> so I'm gonna attempt to fix this while you answer this this next question here. Um, okay, let's see. Um, you know, there was some discussion in the comments about, your use of the term presupposition, and someone, uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, Darth Calculus commented that he prefers the term axiom, and then there was a discussion about the term axiom versus presupposition, right. and I, I think foundational belief was put put out there as well. Do you, do, do you draw a distinction between axiom and presupposition?
1: I do. Um, for people who have studied this, and like I say, I'm a factory worker, But uh, the axiom view, that's the Gordon Clark view of um, presuppositionalism. But I would say God is not an axiom. I would say that God is provable by the impossibility of the contrary. I'm more of a Vantillian. So I do not use the term that God is an axiom. Now, atheists very often will bring up their axioms and I'll say, are all axioms valid? And they'll say, yes, they are. And I, then I will say, well, God is my axiom. I say, what if God was my axiom? And then all of a sudden, you know, axioms need to be provable. But I don't say that God is an axiom. I say he's a necessary presupposition to make sense of anything.
0: Okay. Yeah, that. Thank you for that uh, That clarification. Um, okay. I'm, I'm searching through the comments right now. While I'm doing that, Sai, is there anything that, You were hoping we would get to during this conversation that we didn't or any any, uh, bullets left in the chamber that you want to fire off before we wrap up?
1: You know, not that I could think of, but I mean, just that very thing that you brought up is a good analogy that Greg Bonson uses very often. He says, imagine that you're in a room um, with a man, with a gun, with an unlimited supply of bullets and there's no exit. Um, would you rather learn how to dodge bullets or would you rather learn how to take the gun away? That's good. And the problem is that most Christians are out there learning how to dodge bullets. Mm. And the problem is there's an unlimited supply and eventually one of them is going to wing you. But this apologetic takes the gun away. Okay, so one of the things that Dr.
0: Bonson spoke quite a lot about was logic and how logic, the very the very use of logic and the, the presupposition of logic First presupposes God. So here's a question from Matthew Mitchell, and he says, "Thank you, Sai, for your ministry. What do you say when people respond that laws of logic are emergent properties of the cosmos?"
1: Yeah, um, I, I got into this with that uh, that mathematician fellow as well. First of all, um, a finite being cannot know universal emergent properties, and even if it were the case that you could see the properties. You know, universally in the past, on what basis do you apply them to anything other than what you've seen? And the analogy that I use is: let's say you drive down a road and there's a hundred thousand red barns. What color is the next one going to be? Don't if you're going to say that, it, if you're going to say it's going to be red based on all the other ones that you've seen, see, because a description cannot make a prescription. A description, and then I would say, you know, of course, in the Christian, logic is a description of the thinking of God, and He prescribes that we think like Him. So in the Christian world, we, you, we could say that. But the unbeliever, I would like to say how you, see how you get from an is to an ought. It's impossible. Even if it were the case that they could describe things in the past accurately, which they can because we're fallible beings, on what basis do you apply what, what, what was described to anything other than what was described? You cannot get a prescription from a description in the unbelieving worldview. Of course, you know you grant them the reasoning to even reason about that. And depending on, on um, you know how offensive they're being to me, I'll challenge them even on that point. So, actually, that brings up the next question here.
0: Nate Werner asks, "Sai, when an unbeliever says they don't have to account for logic, knowledge, etc. And by the way, I've had atheists use that exact argument to me. We don't have to account for it. It, it, We can just use it. How do you continue the conversation in a loving way except to point out that they're being foolish? I just say, well, I
1: don't have to account for God. How do you like your argument now? That's it. If they don't have to account for logic, then why, don't, why do I have to account for God? You see, and that's what I, I, I will do is I'll show them what they're standing on, the folly of what they're standing on. Now, here's the thing. People think that, oh, they're going to say, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Let me try and approach this another way. It's not going to happen. Hmm. When will people understand the argument? When God saves them. Because even to the degree that they do understand it, they must suppress the truth and unrighteousness because it will shatter their worldview. And even if you see the interaction that I have with unbelievers – and their worldview is exposed. The folly of it is exposed, and you you would hope that they would repent. One of the best examples that I have it's a debate with I did with a fellow named Paul Baird, and um, I said to him, "Is it impossible for God to exist?" He said, "No, that's not impossible." I said, "Is it impossible for the Bible to be what it claims to be?" He said, "What does the Bible claim to be?" I said, "The Word of God." He said, "Yeah, that's impossible." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because there's so many other wor- uh, other um, scriptures out there, you know, different texts." We'd never know which one was right. And I said to him, Paul, would it make sense to say that there is no real money because there's counterfeit money? And he hummed and hawed. He said, "Um, hmm, hmm. I said, Paul, would it make sense to say that there's no real dollar bills because there's fake ones? Hmm. I'm not sure what you're driving at. And I said, Paul, would it make sense to say that there's no real money because there's fake money? And he said, yes. Now, does that man realize how foolish his answer is? Of course he does, but he could not concede my point because it would be eroding his worldview. Mm, man
0: yeah, that, that's that's a great response. It reminds me of the time I was meeting with a friend in uh, well sort of an acquaintance that I used to meet up in Starbucks with, and uh, an older fellow uh, ethnically Jewish. But uh, he was an atheist, professing atheist, and he, w- within the course of about half an hour, he started, Cy, he started the conversation, telling me how irrational I was and how absurd I was for believing in God. By the end of it, he was the one saying, "You know what? It's okay to be irrational. I don't <laughs> need logic. It's what's wrong with being absurd?" And I said, "I said, my friend, you're you were the guy, you were the rational guy. I'm right. supposed to be the irrational guy." And. Uh,
1: I think it was actually right after I watched How to Answer the Fool that we had that conversation. Well, Van Til says the unbeliever has a bottomless pit behind them. And whatever argument or evidences you give them, it's like this. And they're just throwing it into that pit. It doesn't make a difference. That's why we have to honor Jesus Christ when we talk to them. Because what is the power of God unto salvation? The gospel. You know, I say, but I know why you've invited me to speak at this conference. Because in John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep here size really good argument. No. He said, my sheep hear my voice. We had to get back to that. Amen. Now, right now in the
0: comments, there's a little bit of a dialogue going on back and forth about belief in Santa Claus. And I know you've heard this one before. Well, I don't believe in God just the same way you don't believe. You know, I'm an atheist. You're an A-Clausist. And actually someone someone used that exact uh phrase here. What what do you say to someone? And maybe this is sort of a two-parter. What do you say to someone who's just who says, you know, you there's plenty of things you don't believe in. I just don't believe in God. And then sort of what the, the other wing of that same bird is atheism is not a positive belief statement. It's merely a lack of belief in God. How do you personally respond to that?
1: You're gonna to have to remind me of those points because I'll probably get uh, sidetracked. Sure. But one of the things that um, um, in the film, there's a guy, we didn't use this in the film because I was we were actually yelling at each other at this point. The guy ended up giving me a hug at the end, but uh, he was heckling me all day. And I said to him, tell me, do you go to the mall and heckle Santa Claus for deceiving all those children? And he said, no. I said, why not? He said, "Because I know he's not real. And I said, exactly. Ah. But um, Psalm 96.5 says, all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So people want to say, I'm atheistic towards all of those other gods. They just believing in one less God. No, I'm not atheistic towards other gods because there are no other gods. I'm not an idolater. Now, when people say that they just have a lack of belief, I don't, I don't argue the definition of atheism because I don't care what they call it. But the thing is, with their lack of belief comes a positive claim. They may say, I just lack belief in God. I say, fine, where do you get truth from? Where do you get logic from? Where do you get love from? Where do you get rationality from? I answer the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own lives. we were going to get back to Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Proverbs 26, 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. What's the fool's folly? The fool says there is no God. Don't answer according to his folly, lest he be like him. But if they want to say, well, I just don't believe in God. Well, okay, fine. You don't believe in God. Where do you get this from? Where do you get this from? How do you account for the next word out of your mouth unless you believe in God? Answer a fool according to his folly. So, see, people want to say it's just a lack of belief. I don't care. Fine, say that. But you also make a positive claim with that, that you can make sense of things without God. And that's what you need to account for. Yeah. Can I pick your brain on something? So, bring a, bring tweezers and a thimble.
0: <laughs> uh, well, that's... Um, that's. Uh, let's see. how What's even smaller than that? Uh, you need a microscope? <laughs> Let me be humble. You need a microscope for mine. Okay, so... Um, The, the, um, oh, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I had it. Oh, in scripture. And I may have, this may be a derivation of something that you've said in the past. In, in scripture, God says he has revealed himself in Romans one. He's revealed himself to everyone such that they are without excuse. All right. Now, if that's the case, then a lack of belief in, uh, saying I don't have enough evidence is Literally, tantamount to saying, the God of the Bible has not revealed Himself to me in the way that He says. In other words, I, I, positively am asserting I disbelieve in the God who has revealed Himself to me. Is there an argument there? Is that a? Do you think that's a cogent argument?
1: Well, the thing is, first of all, they're calling God a liar. But when somebody says to that to me that they just don't have the evidences that God says I have, I say, well, can you do me a favor? Can you tell me what evidence will convince you of the God who says you have enough? Right. And that's what I was thinking of when I... Because if they, if they present, say, if he would give me this evidence, yeah. then I would believe in the God who says I have enough evidence. It doesn't make any sense. Right. It exposes the fact that it's not about evidence. It's about suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They're enemies of God. Yeah. Yeah, that's good.
0: Uh, one more from Darth Calculus. He says, this is piggybacking off of what we said earlier, so I, I rewound the tape a little bit here, but he says, the laws of logic are not prescriptive
1: okay so how would you respond to that well the thing is it's not a um is not a in the same time in the same way every time we've seen in the past it says a cannot be both a and not a at the same time in the same way that's a prescription if they want to say they're descriptive fine say a has never been both a and not a the law of non-contradiction it has not been both a and not a every time we've seen in the past with my fallible knowledge that's not a law that's a description of everything you've seen it becomes prescriptive when you say A cannot be A. That's why what you're doing is committing a logical fallacy. Yeah,
0: that, that's good. All right. Maybe one more sort of uh, backpack or uh, piggybacking off that. Meek and Pure says, if you want
1: to appeal to logic, prove logic certainly exists. I don't want to appeal to logic. I, I don't want to... See, people make the mistake, too. They make an evidential argument. They say, um, logic, therefore, God. That's not my argument. My argument is God, therefore, logic. Right. So I don't piggyback off of logic. I say, you can't make sense of anything, even logic, unless you start with God. So I, I deny the premise.
0: Okay. One more from So You Say. She says, but you guys can't even give non-believers... The benefit of the doubt. You have to assert that they actually do believe in God. Or, now you know what, I think she's responding to other folks there in the comments. But what do you say to a professing atheist who says, you know what, you may say I believe in God, but I know my own mind, I know my own heart. Believe me, Cy, believe me, Joel, I know I don't believe in God. So your Bible
1: is wrong. It's just wrong. How do you respond to that? Well, what i say is um you don't mind that i believe god over you now the thing is the bible also says they suppress the truth and unrighteousness and to what degree they suppress it i don't know but it's very dangerous when they suppress it to that degree but you know i have people who say well i'm i just don't know i'm indifferent towards god and this is i've done this on the university campus before i say, well your problem is actually you're a, you're a god hater that's what the bible says." no i don't hate god I, you know there's got to be something out there and i say well you know this is a very nice campus i don't know if your parents have paid for you to be here but i'm sure that there are students that their parents paid for them to be here. Now, imagine they go home for spring break and their parents are waiting for them at the front door of this mansion. And they walk in, they look at their parents and they say, "Uh, who are you? I mean, I know I have parents. I mean, I got to have parents say, you know, I'm here. i has got to be something. I just don't believe you're them. (laughs) But you know what? Um, I'm in a good mood. I'm going to let you spend the night. But if you're here in the morning, I'm calling the cops. Now, you might be indifferent to those people at your front door. But how are your parents going to look, you know, why does our child deny us? Why does he hate us all of a sudden? How could he show that attitude to the people who have given them life? And now these people are standing on these campuses. They're breathing the air that God has given them. The next beat of their heart, the next breath in their lungs is given to them by the God they know exists. They're thinking, yeah, yeah, there's got to be something out there. So when somebody says that they don't know that God exists, sure, I tell them what Scripture says, but I also expose that fact that they can't make sense of anything. But when you do that, you know, that's when they start getting angry with you. I say, look, the Bible does not only say it. I'm going to prove that to you philosophically. You don't have to do that. The Bible is sufficient because you didn't miss. That's the kind of thing that hopefully they're going to put on their head, their head on their pillow. And that that's the thing that they're going to be thinking about. You don't have to prove that to them, but I will show them philosophically. Okay, you say that you don't believe in God. Fine. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How do you get knowledge without God? I answer a fool according to his folly who is not wise in his own eyes. And it's a question like your, the topic of this says they cannot defeat, they cannot answer, and they will not answer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so, anyone who is watching this live, there there is some rich discussion going on in the uh, in the especially in the YouTube comments right now. Folks are recommending different apologists, uh, Greg Bonson, and things like that. Um, but uh, as we as we begin to wrap up here, brother. Uh, so you responded to Darth Calculus, and he responded back now. He says, I'm sorry, Sai. that's not a prescriptive statement. So that's not really a question, more more of a pushback. Uh, any, any further response talking about the laws of logic?
1: Well, I would just like to see how a description is a law. I mean, if you say that barn is red, that's a description. But he's not saying that barn is red. He's saying no, no. He's, he's saying bards cannot be anything but red
0: what about you know, the law of, of gravity where it's it's a description of everything we've ever seen we don't understand it we because of the law of uh, you know induction uniformity in nature we we assume that it's going to be the same in the future but again it's not it's not prescriptive where you know thou shalt obey the law of gravity so
1: Right. Well, the thing is, I differentiate natural laws from things like laws of logic, because I don't believe that these natural laws are going to exist in the new heavens and the new earth, like the, the law, second law of thermodynamics, that everything is going to proceed to a state of decay. So, But the, here's the thing. Only the Christian can use inductive reasoning to say that because it's been this way in the past it will likely be like this in the future the unbeliever has no basis for saying that the future will be like the past or even probably be like the past so if you want to use induction to make an argument about gravity fine you can't even do that without god science would be impossible without god science is based on the inductive principle that the future will probably resemble the past where do you get that without god how do you know anything about the future and the thing is you know sure i get excited about this you know i think about these people commenting and I need these people to know that I love them. I want them to know the love of Jesus Christ. I want them to know the peace which passes all understanding. And sometimes it gets into a philosophical argument. Does this guy really care about induction? Does he really care about descriptive or prescriptive? No, he wants to put his head on his pillow tonight thinking, well, I tripped them up a little bit. Now I can rest easier about my denial about the the God that I know exists. And I think a lot of people are much better at being consistent with telling them no This is your argument against God. I think women are much better at this. They don't have the testosterone. They don't need to win the argument. They say, look, I'm going to pray for you. You need to repent and put your trust in Jesus before you die. Amen.
0: Amen. All right, so Darth has got a few more comments, but we can move on from that. Uh, Brother, how can our listeners or our viewers get more of your work? Oh, and you know what? There was a comment that I didn't show that said, uh, it said, how to answer the fool part two coming soon, please. So (laughs) is there there any plans for a sequel or any new films in the work or or – What projects are you working
1: on? Well, David Shannon, the Chocolate Knox, he did the film, uh, By What Standard? And he made a comment on Facebook, makes me want to do How to Answer the Fool Too*. And he tagged everybody that was involved in the film and everybody came on board. They said, yes, we'd love to do it. So um, hopefully in the not too distant future. I mean, I think you know my situation. We've talked privately. I'm kind of in a transition phase now. But once things are really settled, then it's something that I would really like to do. And um, I would like to get to some of the objections that probably were not answered in the first one. And uh, to show more of the loving nature of this apologetic. And uh, for people who aren't familiar with the, the documentary on the debate uh, with, uh, that I did with Matt Dillahunty, it's also on my Answer Anyone YouTube channel. It's called Debating Dillahunty. And then you can see more of the heart of the apologetic than just the bare bones of it. I've had people, you know, I've gone, gone to speak at conferences and they say, I'm so glad you came here because I watched your film and I hated you. You know because people don't understand the passion i don't like coddling people into hell i love them enough to speak the truth to them and we need to do that in love and you know i love for christians to correct me when they believe that i'm not doing it in love very often i'll say well just show me how you do it in love and a lot of times they're just armchair quarterbacks and they never do it but they just know i'm doing it wrong but you know, i do appreciate the help because i have to learn somewhere too like from people like you
0: yeah well um i'll tell you brother what i've learned from you is uh i mean I, I I don't like to gush too much on this. There was a there was a comment earlier uh, Ethan Michael uh, posted he said I've never seen Joel so happy. I think that's a little I think that's a little hyperbole, hyperbolic, but um, I got to tell you brother, I've greatly appreci- appreciated this and um Open invitation. Come back anytime onto the show because um, even if we had the exact same conversation over again, I think it's a, a blessing to many. I mean, we prayed beforehand that this would uh, glorify Christ, edify the church, and that someone would get saved listening to it. And Amen. I got just a little editorializing right now. As I've interacted with with your work over the last, let's say, five, six years, I have seen a, a move in the direction of um, – I don't want to imply that you weren't charitable before, because I think telling the truth to somebody is the most charitable thing you can do, but but gentleness and um, and really just, uh, you mentioned just laying your head on the pillow at night and resting easy. I mean, brother, I can see that in your apologetic where you, you put it out there and there's no need, there's no scrambling looking for arguments that are going to refute every rebuttal and reply that the unbeliever puts out there because at the end of the day christ is supreme and all the enemies of uh of the messiah are going to be placed under his feet and we i see you resting easy in that and i i want you to know observing that as an outsider helps me rest easier
1: in that as well now it's nothing outside of god god's word tells me the same thing Praise God, brother. It, it's much easier to realize, you know, to not have to win an argument or feel that you have to win when you realize the argument's already won. Yeah. And the thing is, winning an argument is not going to convert people yeah. because if you uh, win them to the faith with argumentation, then somebody can win them out with argumentation. Right. You know, it's a matter of laying down their arms against the God that they know exists. And yeah, the more that I do this, the more that you know I try to get away from the strict argumentation. I mean, you know, Twitter is not a good uh, a tool for that, but mostly the the one on one confrontation, because one of the examples that I give at the abortion clinic, you know, I was actually very reluctant to do um, that kind of ministry because you see people out there, dear friends of mine, saying to the, the death scores, the one who um, escort the women, you know, past the Christians into the mills, and they're calling them murderers. They're calling them, uh, you know, Jihadi Jane and Jihadi John. Now I get it. They are murderers. They are complicit to murder. But the problem is they're at home looking in their mirror and they're preparing to withstand these Christians who call them all these things. But what a difference is to go to these clinics and say, you know what, I'm here because I love you. I don't know why you're standing for this culture of death, but there's no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And I'm here because I love you. And you share your love with them. And the thing is they can deal with the accusations of murder. They cannot deal when you say that. And then you say genuinely from your heart that you love them. And I think that's what Christians need to do. We have to make Jesus Christ sweet to them. You don't have to try and win them with argumentation. Amen. So,
0: uh, we 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 should definitely do a part two of this because um, one of our listeners, so you say, who sent all those comments and uh, really engaged in the in the dialogue with us, said that. She didn't didn't think that we really got into the meat of the argument that supposedly no atheist can refute. The fact that she's saying supposedly kind of uh, tips her hand a little bit
1: and shows where she uh, where she falls on this issue. Tell you what, Joel, invite her on. Invite her on next time. Okay. And she can call me to task. She can call me to task when I'm not talking about the argument. But you'll see a lot of times they say, you know, I'm not a public figure. I'm not comfortable behind the microphone. I don't want to, you know. And sure, I get that. But a lot of times it's just an excuse. See, because I know that this woman knows that God exists when she puts her head on the pillow. I had the the wonderful opportunity to speak with uh, Paul Washer a while ago. Now I was born and raised in a Christian home. I don't know what it's like to be an unbeliever, but he described it in a way that I found, of course, you know, he's gonna do that with most of the things that you talked to him about. But he said, as an unbeliever, it was a haunting. It was a haunting. He knew that God exists And, and that's how he described it. That even though he made all these sorts of arguments against him, it was a haunting. And I thought, well, wow, that's, a, that's a profound way of describing the, the knowledge that the unbeliever has of God. Wow.
0: Well, brother, thank you again. Can't thank you enough for coming on. To everyone watching live, thank you for watching. If we didn't get to your comment or question, um, sorry, we've only got a limited amount of time. But hopefully you got something useful out of this. I know I did It was a real thrill To interact And have this discussion With Saiten Tan And Kate. And um, Cy, I Would love to have you on Again sometime To connect with The Think Institute Just go to Thethink.institute Catch all the episodes Of the Think Pod The Think Podcast By going to Thethink.institute Slash podcast And connect with us On social media We are on Facebook On Twitter On Parler. uh We're even on Jordan Peterson's platform, uh, ThinkSpot. Uh, So check us out on there and get equipped to explain, share, and defend the Christian message in a compelling way. We believe that no believer should ever be caught flat-footed when asked what or why he or she believes. So this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. Thank you for watching. And that's all we have for you today. So Until next time, I hope it made you think.